Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, May 21st, we are studying Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, St. Paul says. What a wonderful promise. And God does not leave this matter of coming to faith for sinners to find out on their own somehow. He sends his word out into the world in the mouths of preachers to bring sinners to saving faith in Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Philip Hoppe. Pastor Hoppe serves at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppe, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, glad to be with you again today. As we get started this morning, Pastor Hoppe, give us some context here in Romans chapter 10. It's part of this larger section, chapters 9 through 11, Paul's addressing the matter of God's Word being spoken to Israel. They largely reject it. Now it's gone to the Gentiles. He's, he's digging into that, and he's talking about God's free choice in, in not being unjust in the way that he's dealt with his people. He's getting into the matter of faith. Give us some context here. Yeah, exactly. Kind of what you were saying there is, is really important to understand. This is one of those sections I think that often we might jump in, and there's especially a couple verses here, you know, that we go to quite a quite a bit uh, that we reference for uh, making various theological points, or just even you know, in comforting one another or teaching the faith in general. And uh, you know, sometimes if we just jump in and out, we we really do miss the context here, which is this is in this larger context where. Paul is addressing this issue of what's happened uh, with the Israelites or those of the, you know, the, the kind of ethnic Israel, and what has now uh, God has been doing among the Gentiles. And uh, really leading right up to this, you know, Paul has been sort of contrasting, uh, you know, these two things, the righteousness that comes through the law, right, that talks about what uh, we might do, right, what we could do um, in order to appease God's wrath or to uh, try to make him like us or however you want to phrase that. He's sort of been talking about this. And again, we have to remember this is, you know, we don't want to just throw that completely under the bus as if the, the law is, you know, bad. And, and Paul obviously is going to make that uh, clear throughout Romans that it's not the law itself that has anything bad, but it's it's our weakness, right, in keeping the law. But he says basically, kind of right before this, that if you're, you know, if you think you're going to get to God by just following the law, well, you know, it's almost kind of like you're going to go up and ascend to heaven and, and pull God down and say, you know, take atten- pay attention to me and what I'm doing. And uh, he contrasts that with the righteousness of faith, right, which understands instead that we are saved because that word of God, Christ, has come down to man, right, in the flesh. Uh, and now as Paul is talking that that same ministry that Jesus began is, is continuing in the proclamation of the gospel. And so uh, I guess as I think about it, our verses today sort of take us into the details of how that word comes near to us, comes near uh, to, to all who hear it. Right. He's he said up in verse 8 that the Word is near you, so near that, in fact, it's in your mouth and in your heart. 
And so here he's going to answer us. Well, how did it how did it get there? How did the word get yeah, near to right. you? Right. And and keeping in mind as as you said this contrast that he's drawing between what the righteousness based on the law says versus what the righteousness based on faith says. And and as you you reference, he starts that section off by saying the righteousness of faith doesn't say ascend into heaven yourself or descend into the abyss yourself as if somehow you could bring Christ to yourself. And and that's I think that's very important as we consider this section today to keep in mind that all of this, the the act of salvation and then the delivering of the salvation, it's all God's work. He's the one that's getting it to you, not only in the the doing of it. Um, for example, in, in chapter three, when he talks about when, when Paul talks about the the propitiation for our sins, and he, he calls Jesus that. But here now, the deliverance, this too is God's action as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's it it is it's all God's work, and that's uh, you know both the the truth of it and the great comfort in it. Right? I mean that that is how it happens, and that ends up being great great comfort for us to know and to understand that. Uh, especially, right, for uh, those of us who who believe, right? It's that, um, you know, when we ask, well, why do I believe, right? The answer is not, well, I I did something in order that I might believe, but God has uh, brought me to faith, right? He's worked this in me, and that's a a great comfort to know, and it brings uh, a stability that no other uh, approach to this kind of idea of how we come to faith can bring to us. Mm, yeah, yeah. Let's go ahead and take a look at the text. We are in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 14. Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, with a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. That is the text for today, Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. Pastor Abbey, the, the text gets started with, I think, the part that you were saying earlier, some of those familiar verses that we we use, rightly so, for, for various the, theological points, and we'll talk about those. I think that's, that's the most familiar part of this text for us. And Paul lays out this sequence of how it is that someone comes to call on the name of the Lord and so be saved, as he's laid out in verse 13. And so, <laughs> the sequence as he lays it out, because that's where he started, is you have to go to verse the end of or toward the middle of verse 15 to get to the beginning of the sequence and then work your way backward to verse 14 to actually see how it plays out in history. So take us into these these details there in 14 and 15. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think sometimes uh, I've noticed that sometimes when we're talking to some of our other Christian brothers and sisters, and when they talk about the matter of faith, 
um, if you sort of ask them the question of how does the word uh, get to you, right? It, it's almost they don't know how to answer that. It's not even something they sort of ponder. They just sort of think it, it happens. And yet the scriptures really lay out for us that at least in every normal way, there is a, a very uh, traceable pattern, you know, of how the word uh, gets to us. And so like you said, you kind of have to, he's asking these questions, which each one kind of implies a former step, right? If this happened, well, then something had to happen before it, and something had to happen before it. So when you go uh, kind of put it in reverse here, right, uh, the first of those steps in this chain, right, is that the church uh, is going to send one to preach, right? The assumption here is one is not uh, going to just, you know, pick up public preaching uh, upon themselves, right, that there is someone that is going to send them to do that. Um, then that one, the next step, right, that one then goes out and preaches the gospel where they have been sent to do so. Um, when that happens, right, we get to the next step, the hearers uh, of that preaching, then uh, not obviously in every case, but the ones who do believe, uh, though the hearers of that preaching receive faith in the very hearing of it, right? And that's perhaps the most familiar verse there, that, that connection for us, the, the hearing of the word and faith coming. Uh, and then the last one, right, uh, just to use Paul's language here, right, is that that believer then having faith uh, calls on the Lord and, and is saved, right? And uh, the calling on the Lord there, we often think sometimes that that's sort of uh, our doing. And here it's made uh, clear also that even uh, when we do have that experience that we're calling upon God in faith, whether that be in prayer or praise or whatever it is, right? The only reason we can do that is because the Word has already worked faith within us. I was just explaining this to someone uh, from a different kind of uh, Christian tradition the other day, and you could see the kind of, you know, light bulb go on a little bit with them that, you know, I said, you know, that before you even think you can say, yes, I believe, right, God has worked that faith in you, or otherwise you wouldn't say it, right? And that's part of this chain we see here. But kind of four steps. The church sends someone to preach, they preach, the hearers hear that preaching and receive faith, and then they call on the Lord. So I, I appreciate the way you laid that out, and I, I want to come back to that matter, because I think uh, you're right that uh, it's easy for us to focus on that, as you've laid out, the fourth step, the calling on the Lord, and, and that's the moment where, well, I mean, just to, to, to pick on particularly, for example, the sinner's prayer, that that, that right. moment is the moment of conversion. I've given my, my heart to Jesus because now I've called in the name of the Lord— these verses here in Romans chapter 10 help us to put it in the the proper perspective that that's actually the last part of of this step-by-step progression that Paul lays out for us and and each part is dependent upon as we said at the very beginning the action of God and I, I want to so to to dig into that a little bit more and I I don't I don't disagree with you pastor Hoppy but I want you to flesh this out a little bit you said that it's the church sends the preacher so <laughs> How, yeah. Help us help us unpack that a little bit, because I I think we also want to say that God sends the preacher. 
Right. Yeah. Maybe. And I don't know whether we should say it's a, uh, you know, a whole nother step or combine it in with that first one. But uh, you're absolutely right. In fact, even as you were you were re-saying it, I thought, yeah, I, you know, I, I should have <laughs> said a little bit more about uh, God's overall role in doing this. And you're certainly right. Whether you want to say that, you know, put a whole nother step and say that obviously the church, you know, it doesn't exist by itself at all. Right. So the church uh, is not uh, doesn't have any power or authority to send anyone to preach the gospel. Gospel, uh, except that God uh, has instituted the church and given it to that authority. So we really could take this back, right, to, to Jesus's uh, words where he uh, sends forth his uh, apostles, right, to preach uh, his word, to forgive and retain sins, all of these great uh, passages that show us how Christ established his church. But yeah, obviously the church itself can't do anything. God is the one uh, behind it. And again, we would testify too. like I said, if you don't want to call it a, a step beforehand, because that might still give the impression that sort of once the church is established, it operates apart from God in some way. If you want to put it on the second one, of course, uh, even when the church is sending one to, to preach the gospel, right, it is, uh, it's only God's authority vested in the church that is is doing that, uh, and uh, obviously that that's occurred a lot of different ways throughout the history of the church. I don't want to make it out that there's you know this huge wide variance, but uh, you know if you take for instance our modern sort of process by which uh, you know our uh, congregations might ask someone to come and preach the gospel in their midst, it's probably a little different uh, than say when you know Paul tells Titus to go and appoint elders. That process probably. Uh, looked a little different in the in the logistics of it, but it but the thing that draws it all together, right, is this is God's authority uh, sending these men because uh, after all, it's His gospel about His Son. Hmm. Right, right. So God through the church calls men yeah. or sends men. I think is the way we would would normally phrase it. So that when you know when your pastor stands in front of you and preaches, you can be assured that this is the one that God has sent to preach to you the good news and and not doubt whether or not he's the one to be doing that. It's God's action and he does it through the church so that there are in that sense there's this this human element to it that you know we we don't just send anybody, right? I mean, one who's received the, the education, one who's received the training, and ultimately one who's who's been recognized by the Church as the one called and sent by God. So he does it through the Church. Like, again, you know, the Church, yes, but God through the Church. We want to, I think, especially as, as you've, you know, explained, sometimes we, we focus on the wrong part, that we recognize this the divine action in all of it, for sure. Uh, an, another thought, Pastor Hoppy, so God sending through the church. Now, we so far our conversation about this this one sending has focused, I think, on what we would call a pastor, a, a preacher. Is is that is that all that Paul has in mind here when he says those who are sent to preach? Or I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure that I I want to. Is is this pastors primarily that he's talking about, or is there a, a broader a broader scope? I, I don't know. I'm 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 honestly asking you. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think um, you know. I think in the in the context here of you know where we're using the word preach here in this context, I guess I would mostly kind of want to tie this to that you know office of the ministry um, that that we often see you know exercised by the, you know the most common word among us, right? Using pastors. 
um, to do that work. I mean, certainly, I think we can speak more broadly, right, about uh, the entire church, right? Everyone uh, who is a believer has also been, um, you know, sent out with the gospel, and we know that many times that initial uh, perhaps, um, you know, if we have someone that has not heard the gospel and does, we know that not all of those things occur through pastors where, where someone brings that uh, to a new person. Sometimes, of course, that is just a conversation between a Christian and one who, who does not know Christ. And so uh, it could be more, more broad, but I guess I think in this context we want to think primarily uh, of that because uh, I've also been, you know, maybe full disclosure, I've been teaching on Titus there, and, you know, and there there's a lot of talk about, you know, God's order in his church and, uh, you know, kind of this way in which God is is there using Paul and Titus to make sure things happen in his church. And so, I, again, it might be a little bit that that part of the scripture here is, is sort of, uh, you know, informing. I mean, that's good. We want scripture to, you know, interpret right. scripture, but uh, that's been on my mind a lot lately and maybe why I'm, you know, mostly focused in, I think, on that kind of orderly way that God brings his gospel into our life, which is primarily through these, you know, the office of the ministry that he establishes. Right. And, and, and that is, none of that is to say, as you well, as you well said, that the word of God is somehow silent on the lips of, of the laity. The word of God is very active in the lips, on the lips of the laity to speak to their neighbor as they have occasion. But it is the, the vocation, the role of the pastor to do this in, in the stead of Christ, as, as he says to you when he absolves you of your sins, right? He's there in the stead of Christ, by Christ's own command. He's there so that you know that, that when he's, he's bound to this, in other words, that, that he's, he's stuck there by Christ to proclaim the good news to you. And, and that's his, his role 24-7, and, and the Christian, as a layperson, does that as they have opportunity within those vocations. So mothers speaking to their children, fathers speaking to their children, husbands and wives speaking to each other, right? I mean, in all these various stations in life that God has given us, the Word of God is present on the lips of the Christian. Here, I think you're right, that this is primarily speaking of those, those pastors whom God sends specifically to proclaim this good news of, of Jesus Christ. And and I think, so another, none of these are gotcha questions, by the way, Pastor Hoppy, okay? I'm not trying to, I'm not like trying to trip you up or something like that. But, so one of the, one of the, the difficulties, I think, that comes with this text is, is, and maybe this is, I don't know if this is an American thing or just a, a sinful human being thing, but I, I would like to think that I don't need a preacher, that I don't need a pastor, that just between me and my Bible, I'm okay. I can maybe come to faith, but I can definitely stay in the faith without my, without my pastor. Right? I mean, why, why do I need him to explain it to me or to tell it to me? And, and I, I've seen that attitude and I think this text has something to say to that. Yeah, I think it absolutely does. And I, I think it is, um, again, I, I think you're right that in one way it's the whole sinful nature, right, of humanity that gets expressed in different ways. But I do think you're right that in our particular American context, this is sort of uh, exemplified. And I, I, I want to, you know, be a little bit careful here, but one of the things I think we do have to admit about uh, kind of at least our modern American sort of way of thinking, right, is that we are in, in a lot of ways 
we're set against having any authority uh, placed upon us that especially authority that's vested in another human. Now we, right. We, we have certain areas where we're okay with that for a moment, right? If, if the police officer is on our side or doing something we feel is important, well, yeah, we like him having authority, but the second he pulls us over, right, we, we don't like him having authority. And I think this is part of the, the unique problem here in the American church, right? Is that if you have a pastor, Right, the scriptures would say then, right, that that person has an authority again, given not their own authority, but the authority of God that's been given to them to exercise in a way that is uh, provides care over your soul, right? And and I think we we don't like that, right? We like this idea that we're these totally autonomous individuals in every way and in every area of our life, right? And and so I think we we tend to buck the idea that that we need someone there. And even you know I mentioned before I think people too just sometimes don't even think about this. They just think God and me, God and me. And that's they don't even ponder. Well, yeah, but how did God get to you? I mean, even to get down to the details of their personal story, especially if they weren't brought up in the faith, right? Well, how did that word actually come to you? You know, did did God one night just appear to you? Uh, and and preach to you the gospel himself, or did he send right a sent one a pastor that you talked to, or as you mentioned, did he use someone else in another vocation? Uh, but then that that word gathered you right into his church, which has these things called pastors. And so um, I, I do think this is important. It, it it trust me as a pastor, it's a word that that at times can bring. Um, uh, you know, I don't know, almost an overwhelming feeling, right, to recognize uh, that that we do have this role. Sometimes I think we would like to be free of it, right, and say, well, it's it's up to each individual person in my church what they're what they're doing or not doing. Uh, but no, instead, right, we do have this role in how God is ordered, how He's going to get His gospel out, right? He hmm. He could have just sent a letter directly to everyone, I suppose, right, but. Uh, he's chosen to work through his church, and so we're not we're not free to discard his order when we say that we would like to receive his gifts. We receive them the way that he's told us he gives them to us. I, I think the the question that you asked and then answered is is very important. How did God get to you? Did did you just receive some sort of special revelation on your own, or or gaze inside yourself somehow, and that's how you came to faith, or did it? And I think this is, maybe we can dwell on this for a, a moment, that it came from the outside of you. So the, the, the key, I mean, let's see, to go, to go step by step, someone is sent, that someone preaches, and then you, you hear. Well, what, is it, what does it mean to hear? And, and in our, again, our American context, probably, we often have this idea of, well, me and my Bible, me, me and Jesus. Well, <laughs> okay, I mean— does does that count as the hearing? I yes, right? I mean, we don't want to deny that when you're you're at home and you're reading the Bible, you are hearing the word of God, and that word of God is is working faith in you. But but how did it get to you? Did it just like one day appear and you started reading it? Or no, it, it came from the outside. Maybe that's the the broader thought of this matter of, of being sent. And as you said, the normal course of this, there's a person there, a pastor 
a, a faithful Christian who comes and speaks God's word, and it it didn't come from within you. It didn't happen again. To just go back to the previous text, it wasn't because you ascended up there to get it, or you you dove down into the earth to bring it up, but but it came to you. It was sent to you from the outside. And and while that probably bothers our pride, we need to confess that this is this is God's action. And thanks be to God for for doing it. Yeah, because I think if we understand the first step that we say didn't come from me, but it came uh, from, you know, my Aunt Jenny or from, you know, Pastor Thompson or whoever, right? It sets us on that beautiful path that ultimately leads to understanding, well, it didn't really come from them directly either. It came from outside in the sense of, you know, creator to creation or savior to the one who ends up being redeemed, right? It, it, but it sets us on that path to be able to look at even the, the details of it, and especially those that really like uh, some of those other ways of speaking, like you mentioned, the sinner's prayer and those kind of things, right? They they sometimes almost deny who was involved just in the, you know, they like talking about kind of the experience of how it happened, but it's a good place for us to be able to start. So, oh, it, it wasn't just that you were sitting in your house one day, right? And like you said, even if you were just sitting there and reading the Bible, well, how did that Bible get to you? Did someone give it to you? Uh, maybe it was just left in your house. Okay, well, who left it in your house, right? Who who published the Bible, right? These are all people uh, that God was using. And, and if we can take the one step to get it, it wasn't me, it was someone else, then we're really led from that point to really understand the critical point that it came from outside ourselves in the sense that it came from God and through his activity to us. Right, right, yeah, and and then we would rejoice in that fact, and I think that helps us into that Isaiah quotation that we get here at the end of verse 15. Paul says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Before we take our break, Pastor Hoppy, take us into that quote from Isaiah 52. Yeah, so I mean, in the general context, of course, Isaiah is talking a lot about uh, the exile that is coming, and yet, as we know, blessedly, he doesn't stop with the exile coming. He also gives us, uh, you know, I shouldn't say he again here, God through Isaiah, right, gives us all of these beautiful promises about what comes after the exile. And one of the pictures, right, is that there are going to be these people that come and proclaim that the exile is over. There are going to be people that preach uh, that good news. And ultimately, we understand from where we sit, right, that ultimately, who are those people that come and proclaim this? I mean, was it just the people, you know, at the time when the, the literal exile ended and people returned to the promised land? Well, we would say yes, in part, right? There were people there preaching that good news, and that would have been received with joy. But ultimately, it's it's Christ himself, right, who comes uh, and preaches the good news, as he says of himself, right, quoting Isaiah, right, that he, he's, that's one of his roles as the Messiah, is to come and preach good news to the poor, or the poor in spirit. So he does that, and then he sends out his apostles to do that. So this word from Isaiah really is a prophecy about after the exile, what's going to, all that sin that caused the exile, all that together, what's the answer to that? And when we look in our own lives, while we didn't experience that physical exile, we do know how uh, sin takes us away from God. And so we say, too, how beautiful are the feet of those who come and preach to us the gospel. 
You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're going to take a short break, but we will be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. On this Thursday, May 21st, we are looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21, with Pastor Philip Hoppe of Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppe, prior to the break, we we went through that progression that Paul lays out that God sends through his church, those who are sent preach, those who are preached to hear, and that word brings faith, faith that calls on the name of the Lord and so brings salvation. And, and Paul Paul wraps that up with this Isaiah 52 quote. And then before he gets to that that verse that really sums up this whole section, the, the verse that probably we quote the most there in verse 17, he, he gives us another quotation from Isaiah that, that not everybody who hears believes. Take us into to verse 16. Right, yeah. I mean, if you're reading sort of the, the chain that's been there in the verses before, you know, someone could say, well, if all this happens, right, if God sets this all in motion, and eventually the word gets to the hearer and it's proclaimed to them, well, then, you know, surely, since it's, you know, we might even they might even say since it's God's work, right, obviously everyone has uh, to believe or all have to use Paul's words here, and maybe we should examine this in a second, right, because it's not a way I don't think we typically talk a whole lot, but most translations here have something like, right, they have not obeyed the gospel. It's uh, so Even for our Lutheran ears, it almost sounds like two phrases that shouldn't go together, right? We, <laughs> when, we, when we talk about obedience, we like to say, oh, that's the law, right? And when we talk about the gospel, we don't want any talk of obedience in there, and yet here uh, we do get this, this phrase. But for the moment, you know, the, the basic point is, no, but people don't all, when they hear, they don't believe. Um, and uh, obviously, for Paul, uh, this was a hard thing even for him to sort of understand, and in particular, why the Jewish people, and he's going to continue to talk about this in the next couple of verses, who had, in one sense, every advantage to be able to understand who the coming Messiah was, that when he did come, that many of them did hear and yet did not believe. This is, a, you know, I think just experientially, this was troubling for Paul, right? How, how can that be? How can they not just say, here is, here is the Messiah, right, that we have been waiting for? Um, but, but indeed, uh, we know uh, in our day, and it was true here in the day of the writing of, of this book, uh, that not everyone who hears does 
uh, obey the gospel, does, does not believe in the gospel. And, and Isaiah is quoted here to tell us it's not just us in our day, it's not just Paul in his day. Uh, Isaiah was saying the same things, probably here uh, speaking sort of collectively when he says, right, from us, of sort of, the, we could say, all the Old Testament prophets. And how many of them brought the truth of the Word of God and the particular message of the gospel of God saving his people, and yet it was not believed in his day uh, either. And so um, we we know this is true, right? Just because God sets all things in motion and desires to save all does not mean that everybody will, in the end, uh, end up uh, believing uh, on Christ and, and receiving all the fruits of that um, that work that Christ has done for us. As it was in Isaiah's day, so it is in Paul's, and even in, in Jesus' own day, in, in yep. John chapter 12, you get the same verse from Isaiah 53 quoted concerning the ministry of Jesus himself, that, that Jesus had done all these signs, but they didn't believe in him, and this fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah wrote. That's in, in John 12, verse 38. So, I mean, yeah, so so there's there's nothing new under the sun, Paul is saying, as it was in Isaiah's and Jesus' day, so it remains today, he says. Now, before we before we leave that verse, you wanted to say something about the word obey there, Pastor Hoppy, and I, it does strike our ears as, as a bit strange, particularly our Lutheran ears. How should we understand that? Well, yeah, if you look at sort of in the Greek, right, the, uh, you know, and, and I never want to, you know, claim that I'm a Greek scholar in the sense of, you know, uh, I could write books about it, but, you know, having been trained in it, uh, and when you look at it, the, the word kind of literally for obedience, and again, that word, it's not improper at all to translate it obedience. I mean, that is, is a very common uh, translation, but when you look at sort of the the two parts of the Greek word, it, it literally means something like to be put under what you hear, right? And it, so to obey is to hear something and then accept uh, that thing as having an authority, right? And particularly having an authority over you. And so, again, right, when we are talking about obeying the gospel, it really flows nicely with what's just been said. Well, how does one come to obey the gospel? Well, that hearing has to happen first. It's it's critical to obedience. You don't just obey out of your own will. Obedience is an act of that hearing coming to you and having an authority that then places you underneath that hearing. In this sense, and that may still sound a little weird, in this sense, that's perfectly great news to us, right? Because what we're hearing is the gospel, that Christ has come to save us. Uh, but that's kind of the, the word obedience when you look at the Greek word there. It's, it's all about the hearing of the word, uh, then uh, sort of being placed underneath it. Um, uh, and I don't, uh, you know, that, I don't know how to kind of say it any, any kind of clearer than that. I know still maybe our American ears don't like being placed underneath something, right? That, that might still seem like, ah, it still seems a little, you know, binding to me, but that's kind of the, the literal uh, rendering there, the wooden rendering of that word. Right, and I think that's, that's always a helpful reminder when you come to this, this word. This isn't the first time we've come to this word in the book of Romans. In fact, it's in that very first text in Romans chapter 1, this idea of obeying the gospel. But, but to be under the hearing of it is a, is a, as you said, it's a more wooden way of translating it, but I, I think it's, it's helpful. Obedience is not wrong, but perhaps it's a bit too narrow of a word at times, because at least in, 
in English, the word obedience, I think, implies a command that is then done, which, I mean, when you have a command to place yourself under the hearing of that command is to do it. But in the case of, say, the gospel, as Paul says here, well, what does it mean to place yourself under the hearing or to be placed under the hearing better, as, as this context would suggest? What does it mean to be placed under the hearing of a promise? Well, it doesn't mean to do it because you can't do a promise. It simply means to believe it. And so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a hard hard word to render into English with, with one word every time. But, but unpacking like that, I think, is very helpful for us, uh, particularly here. That, again, this is, this is God's authority. He is the one who places us under his word. And that word, as, as he said it back in verse 13, that word brings salvation. So this is, it's not a bad thing. Even if, if our sinful pride doesn't like it, it's not a bad thing to be placed under the hearing, under the authority of God's word, instead of trying to place ourselves over that, which is, which is what Israel has done, according to Isaiah, and in Jesus' day, and in Paul's own day. So he, Paul, Paul then, he, he wraps this up. Verse, verse 17 is that, it's kind of the, the kicker of all of this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It seems that that's a, a summary of this step-by-step progression he's laid out for us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why we, uh, you know, we, we go to this so often, this particular verse, is because, you know, we, are, we do get in a lot of situations where we need to say what the scriptures say, but say it quickly, right? And this is one of those verses uh, that we can go right to and say, here's, here's the meat of what he's talking about throughout this, and really the meat of what the scriptures say in general about how it is that faith comes to a person, and namely that they come through that hearing, that, uh, again, that authoritative word that, that comes to them. Um, if I can add just one last thing on authority, because I think this is so critical to our our modern American ears again, is that in the Bible, to be placed under authority is, generally speaking, good news and not bad news, right? And we tend to think of it, I think, always as bad news. To be placed under someone's authority is bad news. It means that we're limited in some way. That's how we perceive it at first. But in the Bible, to be placed under someone's authority is to be given someone to care for you, right? It's to be given someone to love you, uh, to cherish you, to, you know, all of these things that God does for us. And so again, when we think of being under God's authority, we should say, wow, I am under God's authority, right? Uh, He's going to do all these things for me. But, you know, same thing here. When we hear this, right, faith comes from hearing that authoritative word. This is not bad news. This is good news. This is you have someone to care for every need you have, even down to giving you the very faith to believe in what he's done. Yeah, if I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down that rabbit trail just for a second more, Pastor Hoppy, about about this matter of being placed under God's authority is good news. There's, and I, I don't know if, I don't know if people still say this or not. I, I recall, I think it was around the time I was in high school and college, I'd hear people say something to the effect of that they would ask the question, "I know you've made Jesus your Savior, but have you made Him your Lord?" As if, okay, Jesus, Jesus, and I think the effect of that phrase was, okay, you believe that Jesus died and rose for you, good, but are you doing what he says yet? Are you, is, is he your Lord? Right. You know, he's telling you what to do. And, and I think that that sort of, if I'm understanding it correctly, that that sort of phrase is the exact thinking you're, you're saying, that, that as if Jesus' authority is there to, 
to make me do something I don't want to do or, or, or something to that effect. Whereas as to have Jesus as Lord is the entire opposite of that. Not that, not that he tells you things that you didn't want to do, but, but all of the good things that he does for you. What does a, what does a Lord do for you? The Lord gives to you. He protects you. He cares for you to be under his authority is a good thing. So to have Jesus as savior and Lord is, is really two ways of saying the same thing, just two different aspects of the same thing, I think, which, which I think, I think fits into what you're saying there about authority. Absolutely. That's why, you know, Luther can, can, you know, just say what, you know, what does it mean to call right God Lord? And then he just gushes with the gospel, mm. right? He, he doesn't say that this, this terrible, terrible burdensome thing, right? Or, you know, it's kind of the catechetical wording that I might live under him in his kingdom, right? I mean, that's not bad news, right? And if you're living in someone's kingdom, you're under their authority. That's, that's all there, but it's not bad news to us. It's, it's great news. Um, right? It's, it's great news to have parents that have authority over you because they're caring for you, right? It's a great thing to have a pastor whom God has given authority to, right, uh, to watch over you. That's the, all those are great things, and we, we tend to buck against that and think the only good thing is to have our own uh, rule. Uh, but no, this is, this is where uh, we learn to let someone else take care of us and recognize what a blessing that is, and that the, the greatest sense that happens is that God takes care of us. Right, and because all of those those authority figures are are placed there by God, and and to keep us on on track with the text here, that's the point of the preacher is that the preacher was the one sent by God to give you this word, and so that that's good news that God sent the preacher to proclaim it to you, not something to to rebel against as if oh, I wanted to do it myself. No, thanks be to God that He sent the preacher to give you this word so that you would hear it and by that word believe all all God's work for you. So so having set that out very beautifully in verses 14 through 17, the question for Paul is he applies this now to this matter of the rebellion of Israel, uh, the those who were descended from Abraham according to the flesh but did not believe. The, the question becomes, well, did they ever hear? And, and, and Paul's going to address that now with several Old Testament quotations, did they hear the word? Did they understand the word? The first question comes in verse 18, Pastor Hoppy. Right. So, yeah, he asks this question, yeah, basically, did, did they hear it? I, I almost think in asking this question, you know, the average reader would have said, well, yeah, of course they did, right? I mean, the, you know, just based on everything that had happened and even, uh, again, the advantages that the Israelites had, some of the things they would have taken pride in, right? That they had the word, they had the words of the prophets, that they had uh, the, the covenant of the law, all these different things, right, that they had. I think people would have known this, but he, he quotes here, right, Psalm uh, 19.4, uh, with this idea that he says, well, of course, the voice has gone out to all the earth, right, into the ends of the world. So there's, in one sense, Paul's saying, there's nobody here who hasn't heard it. Interestingly, you know, in in Psalm uh, 19.4, this is originally a reference to sort of the glories of God in the heavens, right, reaching to the ends of the earth, so that no one is 
uh, we often talk about this, and I'm sure you guys maybe discussed it, right, a little bit at the beginning of the Book of Romans, this sort of natural knowledge of God, right, just that God exists. And that psalm is is there, right, uh, kind of reflecting on that same thing, that no one is beyond the reach of that. Everybody knows that there's someone who creates this, whether they, you know, hide that knowledge, they try not to acknowledge it, whatever you want to say, but they should know, right? And ultimately they do know. Uh, that's why no one's, you know, without excuse. Uh, but so he, but he takes that verse, it's mostly something about that, and he says, yes, they heard, right? And what it really shows, I think the key kind of thing that brings us together is God's relentless nature in making this good news heard. He's not hiding it from people. That's not his nature, is just to give it to one person over here and hide it from another. No, he does desire all to be saved. And so that message goes out to all people. And yes, I think Paul would almost argue, and it went out chiefly and first to the Israelites. They're the ones that got to hear it uh, the first and the best, maybe, right? Uh, uh, not that, you know, there's something deficient later in how the Gentiles hear about it, but but they have every advantage. They heard it, and there's no doubt about it. I, I think the connection you made to Romans chapter 1 is, is a good one, because if it, you know, if if you're if you're reading along with Paul and you agree with what he says in chapter one, that that everyone should have recognized God's divine power in the creation, which is what Psalm 19 verse four really is is driving at. So if you're if you're going to agree with Paul there in Romans chapter one, he's bringing it back up here. I, I think to say exactly what what you're you're making out. Like, well, then if that was true of of just your average. Gentile or any human being back in chapter one, how much more is it true, particularly of Israel, who had all of those advantages, as you said? And that's how this section starts at the beginning of chapter nine, where Paul lists all those advantages that they had. They had the the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law, the worship, the promises. These were all there. And, and so this, this maybe, I mean, it, it does seem a bit out of place at first, quotation of Psalm 19, but when you when you pull all those strands together, it's it's all the more, well, yeah, they heard. They, they don't have that excuse that somehow they just didn't ever hear it. So with that objection answered, then it seems that the second objection would be, well, okay, they heard it, but they didn't actually know what was, t- they didn't understand, they didn't, they didn't get it. How does Paul answer that objection? Yeah, and here, obviously, we want to be clear, right, because uh, sometimes I think we get, like, you know, if we understand it, that necessarily kind of means that you believe it, right? If we say, yeah, yeah, I got it, we we kind of mean all that together, right? And and obviously, it's we've already been told here that a lot of the Israelites did not obey, so that's not what we mean by understood. They didn't get it in that fullest sense that faith has worked and they call on the name of the Lord. But there is sort of this thing of like, well, yeah, the word could sort of be spoken to you, but you don't even, you know, understand what it what it's all about, right? You don't know, uh, you know, um, what, what it was intended even to communicate to you. I mean, we all have that experience. Sometimes we hear something and kind of afterwards, you might look at the person next to you and go, what was that? I I don't even know what they were trying to say, right? So that's I think that's specifically what is what is being asked here is is that possible that they heard but they just didn't understand it. And uh you know Paul then quotes uh from Deuteronomy um from the the Song of Moses uh, chapter 32:21 and uh he just quotes here this passage where God is 
basically saying that, you know, again, the Israelites knew exactly who the one true God was, and yet, right, uh, they uh, worshipped something that was not a god. Uh, they worshipped all these idols. Uh, even though they had every understanding of who the true god was given to them, uh, they still were the ones that wanted to worship other things. Um, and, uh, you know, you can just think here of Moses reflecting on uh, all the ways in which the, the people of God had uh, not trusted in God, even though he had done these miraculous things for them. And, and as Moses reflects upon this, right, he's he's just saying, no, they had every advantage, they knew it, and yet they made the choice to, to, to worship something that wasn't even a god. Um, and, and he kind of turns then at the end of that in, in that same verse, uh, 21 of Deuteronomy 32, and he says, so I'm going to kind of do a similar thing. I'm going to make them jealous with the people who weren't a people. If you're going to worship a God that's not a God, I'm going to make you jealous by giving all my grace and my mercy and all of that to a people that aren't really even a people, right? They're not even, you know, gathered together. They're sort of this scattered uh, group of people amongst many tribes and nations and all of this. And I'm going to give my good gifts to all of them uh, for the purpose of making you jealous so you recognize what you had when you were uh, living in that relationship with me. Yeah, Paul's going to pick up on that matter of of making Israel jealous through the Gentiles in chapter 11 in, in just a couple of, of verses here. What about the quotation that Paul uses to conclude this chapter from Isaiah? Yeah, so he quotes Isaiah uh, 65, verses 1 and 2, essentially there. And there, these are more just specific promises about what is, you know, actually going to occur, where God uh, speaks about reaching out and finding the people that didn't look for him, right? Uh, he says that uh, he, he did this. Why? Well, because the people that he was uh, reaching out to with this message were rebellious. And again, you know, we can think back to when God chooses Israel, or at least I should say when God speaks about choosing Israel, and he tells them, right, he didn't choose them because they were this great nation or anything like that, that he chose them out of grace, right, because he wanted to give them these things. Uh, but here he says, I'm going to do that again, right, and I'm going to do it precisely because those of you that I chose by grace uh, are resisting that grace, right? You don't want the gifts that are being given to you. Uh, and so he uses these passages here from Isaiah uh, to, to kind of say, you know, here's the fulfillment of what Isaiah prophesied. Uh, it's happening right in our day. Uh, again, right? It happened in Isaiah's day, but it's happening again, uh, like you said, in Jesus's day and now continuing on into Paul's time as well. Right. I mean, and that last that last Isaiah quotation there in verse uh, 21 of Romans chapter 10 really, you know, puts the, the nail in the coffin, so to speak, that that it, it wasn't a, a total ignorance of, of hearing. It wasn't a, an ignorance of understanding. But Paul even says, or Isaiah says, and Paul quotes, all day long, I have held out my hands to a, a disobedient and a contrary people. This is, again, just to, to tie this to what, what Paul's been doing here in chapters 9 and 10 and then into 11, this isn't the fault of God. It's not a failure on his part. He's the one that spoke the word. He sent the preachers. That word was effective. Israel didn't believe. They heard it. They knew it. They rejected it. 
it's it's their disobedience that I mean, and, and that's going to help carry us forward into the into chapter eleven. It really ties this this whole argument together. I think, Pastor Hoppe, we've got oh about three minutes left here on the morning. Final thoughts, wrap things up for us today. Yeah, I think like you said, we you, this really does prepare us for what is you know to come in the following verses. Um, and that last word really is, I mean, it, it is a strong and stinging rebuke, right? Because it's not just uh, even you were rebellious, but you're rebellious while I'm trying to reach out my hands and give you stuff, right? I mean, I don't even know if we can imagine a scenario like this. Um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe a parent, I guess, if they, you know, slaved all day, right, trying to make something special uh, for their child to eat or something like that, right? And they, they go to hand it to their child, and their child just slaps it out of their hand and says, I don't want that, right? I mean, that's kind of the picture of how how terrible the Israelites have been. God is trying to give them something good, and they kind of slap it out of his hands and say, we want nothing to do with that. Um, and yet the Gentiles, right, become the eternal beneficiaries of that action, and that God, uh, you know, at that time then, uh, you know, reaches out to the Gentiles and saves them, even though they're not looking for him, even though they're not a people, uh, they become a people with a God uh, because of that. Uh, and I guess then overall this whole section, uh, just this reminder that, right, God does everything necessary to save us. As you said, right, he comes to us from the outside and he brings us salvation. And yet there are still some that will reject that grace in our day as well. Uh, so for those that end up uh, obeying the gospel, uh, being placed underneath underneath its good and gracious authority, right, we give God all the credit. And for those that don't want it, we simply look and say, they didn't want it. God reached out their, his hand to them, and they, they slapped his hands and says, we want nothing to do with that. And so sadly, they get all the credit for that. But on the whole, it's all God saving us uh, through the means he's chosen to do so, and we, we rejoice. Pastor Philip Hoppe is the pastor at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, helping us this morning with Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21. Pastor Hoppe, thank you for your time today. So glad to be with you again. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, St. Paul has said. But but how does it how does it get to you? Well, it starts with the Lord. It's all his action. The Lord sends. He sends a preacher, and in that preacher's mouth is the Lord's word. And that preacher proclaims that word to you, that Jesus Christ has been crucified for your sins and raised for your justification. And then that word that has come from the preacher, that word works faith in your heart as you hear it, and in that faith you call on the name of the Lord, and so you are saved. It is all God's doing for your salvation. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.